The idea that rich people are completely out of touch with the vast majority of the wage-earning population has been around forever. Mm -hmm. And in our generation, it was most ignited by the global financial crisis and the Occupy Wall Street movement that sprung out of it. In the decades since, concepts like socialism, labor unions, universal health care, and universal basic income have gained the kind of support in this country and elsewhere that was previously unseen since at least before the Cold War and all the Red Scares yeah. and all of that. The idea that the ultra-wealthy see the workers who generate their wealth as subhuman drones is catching on more and more these days. <laughs> that hot new sound. Uh, despite the best efforts of the ruling class, who usually at least try to pretend that that isn't the case, we love our employees. We're a family. Yes, that old trick. But sometimes they do let the mask slip, and you get to hear exactly what they really think about you, in their own words. I think the problem that we've had is that we've, you know, we, we have, people decided that they didn't really want to work so much anymore through COVID, and that has had a massive issue on productivity. You know, tradies have definitely pulled back on productivity. You know, they, they have been paid, paid a lot to do not too much in the last few years. And we need to see that change. We need to see unemployment rise. Unemployment has to jump 40, 50% in my view. We need to see pain in the economy. We need to remind people that they work for the employer, not the other way around. I mean, there is a, there's been a systematic change where employees feel the employer is extremely lucky to have them um, as opposed to the other way around. So it's a dynamic that has to change. We've got to kill that attitude and that has to come through hurting the economy, which is what the whole global you know, the, the world is trying to do, the governments around the world are trying to increase unemployment to get that to some sort of normality. And we're seeing it. I think every employer now is seeing it. I mean, there is definitely massive layoffs going off. People might not be talking about it, but people are definitely laying people off and we're starting to see less arrogance in the employment market. And that has to continue because that will cascade across the cost balance. Wow. So he just went ahead and said it. And we've had no shortage of Nobody wants to work anymore and quiet quitting talk uh, in recent years. But they usually avoid openly proposing the solution of significantly increasing unemployment so workers experience pain and desperation and just remember their place. But uh, yeah, this is uh, the, the uh, more upset that the workers are getting. Uh, it seems to be that the CEOs are also getting frustrated. Uh, this happened at the beginning of the writer's strike. Or yeah. no, at the beginning of the actor strike when they joined up, where uh, and during the writer strike, yeah, but, but Bob yeah. Iger specifically was like, "We're going. To, the The goal is to start. We need them. to crush the spirit of our workers." Yes, yeah, not exactly the result that I think you're going to go for. That you're going to get. I don't think it's going to work too. Good. No, I think you're just pissing people off even more. It's been a hot labor summer, and I think everyone's ready to take this into hot labor fall and winter. I'd like it to cool off a little bit, but yeah, well, yeah. between climate change and these uh, strikes, you're not going to get that. Cozy labor fall. That sounds That's, nice. yes. <laughs> Everyone deserves to look like that bear on the tee box. And I think the people out on the picket lines would agree. They have, uh, they've been, they're very tan. I hope they've got a good supply of liquid IV. Mm -hmm. But yeah, this guy, uh, he's, he's just saying the quiet part out loud. And it's, it's honestly, it's fascinating and kind of refreshing. And uh, that guy is Tim Gurner, a big ass forehead. A, yeah, a luxury home developer from Australia speaking at a conference held by the Australian publication Financial Review. And it's honestly, it's impressive how quickly and succinctly he manages to rattle all that off. Mm -hmm. The only thing missing is, I don't know, something about how everyone's financial troubles could be fixed by simply giving up some avocado toast. Why didn't he? Oh, hold on. Wait, I'm getting word that Tim Gurner 
is in fact the very person who single-handedly originated the Millennials Eating Avocado Toast meme. All the way back in 2017. Yeah. It's the same guy. A second Tim Gurner incident has hit the news. Hey, say what you want. This guy knows how to make the headlines. So yeah, holy shit. And in case you need your memory refreshed, uh, here's the Guardian article from way back then about this. An Australian millionaire and real estate mogul has advice for millennials struggling to purchase a home. Stop buying avocado toast. Tim Gurner, a luxury property developer in Melbourne, responsible for over $3.8 billion in projects, is facing heat for comments he made on 60 Minutes in Australia, implying that young people can't afford to buy property because they're wasting money on fancy toast and overpriced coffee. Quote, when I was trying to buy my first home, I wasn't buying smashed avocado for $19 and four coffees at $4 each, he said. We're at a point now where the expectations of younger people are very, very high. He added, we are coming into a new reality where a lot of people won't own a house in their lifetime. That is just the reality. Asked if he believes young people will never own a home, he responded, absolutely. When you're spending $40 a day on <laughs> smashed avocados and coffees and not working, of course. The 35-year-old executive then offered a point of comparison, describing how hard he worked when he was young. When I had my first business when I was 19, I was in the gym at 6 a.m. in the morning, and I finished at 10.30 at night, and I did it seven days a week, and I did it until I could afford my first home. There was no discussions around, could I go out for breakfast? Could I go out for dinner? I just worked. Okay, Tim, I mean, that's, that's a great work ethic if you are looking to become a multimillionaire, and it seems to have worked out great for you. Mm -hmm. But you are responding to people who literally just want to be able to own a home in their 30s or 40s, like their parents, but are facing economic conditions that make owning a home on a middle-class salary significantly more difficult than in previous generations. And I'm sorry, I'm getting mad at an article from six fucking years ago. That's how bad it that's was. That's mostly just remembered as a meme, but... He remembered and got angry again. It's still just so goddamn insulting. It is, and it, there is absolutely no shortage of plenty of look at this graphs you can look at where the median income versus like the median home price yeah. are on, might as well be on two different fucking axes. And also food prices. Yes, everything like, is unaffordable based <laughs> on the same amount of, if you if you do the comparison on wages, uh, they have been stagnant for decades. Yeah. So it's not about working too hard or we're not working enough. It's just nobody is getting paid what their parents and previous generations were for the same... Not even the same work. Technically, there's been studies on how much more uh, Gen X, Millennials, and Gen Z are having to work to make close yeah. to the same amount. Yeah. But yes, the, his basis in reality is flawed. Yeah, and it's it's fucked up that he's coming at it with this boomer mentality, but I believe I might be the same age as this man. It's, yes, uh, no, he's... It's fucked up. It, it's, a, it's an odd take for someone who is within that generation to make. Just because... Pull yourself he, up by your bootstraps like me, your fellow millennial. Like me, uh, the, I'm a real estate guy. Yeah, and also, I don't know his backstory. Uh, probably some interesting stuff in there. I'm sure there is. Maybe, also, maybe a few other people pulling those bootstraps with him. It very well <laughs> could be. Uh, I would venture to say that you're probably right. But also just the fact that, like, dude, for a lot of people, working 90 hours a week isn't something that makes them happy. Also, God, this, people want to live their lives outside of the workplace. That, in fact, the the point of a fulfilling life is to not just fucking work the entire time. Yeah, and owning a house that's not that shouldn't be outside of the the possibility for most people. Also, it is ironic that he is a luxury home developer. Yeah, 
Nobody's just, buying these houses. And just like, he's literally in the housing industry and- Probably responsible for and, part of the reason and that- And a, a huge factor in like why no one can own a house is because they're only developing luxury homes and, and not anything that anyone can actually afford to live in. Yeah. It's a fascinating guy and just so great to have him back all there, these years later. There's been great interviews with, uh, not great because it's not a great outlook, but like interviews with Generation Z and Millennials of just like, we've come to terms with the fact in general that they are not going to be homeowners. So they're like, I just want to enjoy my life before I burn alive. Is that too much to ask? Yeah. Cause if you don't own a home, it means you're renting. It means you're going to be renting forever, which means you got to work forever. Yeah. And uh, you work till you're dead. And that's just, that's also, the plan. Also, especially in Australia and America specifically, home ownership now uh, instantly comes with an asterisk of my house could either be flooded, burned, or blown away before I finish paying my mortgage because of climate change. Yeah. So yeah, it's like, yeah. okay, well, if I just rent, I'm not responsible for any of that. There are advantages. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so no surprise that the avocado toast guy is now publicly just spitballing ideas about how to make poor people more poor because they've they've got it way too easy. Those poor people. The poor who, people. They, yeah. Those poor people who can't afford a home in their lifetime. They've got it way too easy. They need to be knocked down a peg. Yeah, it, it's the poor people who are out there enjoying their lives and not this guy. Yeah, he's uh -huh. just working so hard. Yeah, that's right. But yeah, honestly, thank you, Tim. Uh, as one Georgetown University philosophy professor said on Twitter. I like teaching lefty theory as much as the next guy, but I can rarely do better at explaining the connection between capital and social political domination than just pointing at what the guys with the capital do and say. Just listen to them. They're saying it all. Yeah, they are literally... They're laying it out on the their table. Their belief system is just the inverse of Marxism. Yeah. There's like... Or it actually is. It's like, yes, that's how that is how capitalism works. He was totally right about that. And it's good. It's good that it works that way. <laughs> You're reading it wrong. <laughs> uh, but speaking of rich dicks, it's time for the part of the show where we talk about the richest, most out of touch person on Earth. And you know who we're talking about. His biography just came out this week. I am torn on whether I should read this or not. Uh, yeah. I'm... Because all the juiciest bits are getting I, I do enjoy reading books. I don't know where, if I appreciate where this money is going. Maybe I'll check it out on Libby. Yeah. But uh, it's not at the top of my priorities, <laughs> that's for sure. No. Uh, so, yeah, but uh, the Elon Musk biography did come out this week. It's got a whole lot of new revelations in it. Um, actually, wait, before we get to that, let's update you on last week's main story, which involves threats to sue the Anti-Defamation League for billions of dollars because they devalued Twitter's brand by accurately reporting that the platform is filled with Nazis whose accounts aren't considered ban-worthy. So Elon himself seems to have walked away from that fight quicker than he backed out of his MMA fight against Mark Zuckerberg. Remember that? And he just left CEO Linda Yaccarino with the task of cleaning up his mess once again. She's the fall gal. Yeah. So yeah, Linda tweeted out a link to a very generic blog post affirming Twitter's commitment to fighting anti-Semitism. On a Friday night, always the best time to uh, clarify a controversy that's been going on L for several a literal, days. A literal news dump. Yeah, yeah, that's what the term is originally meant. But uh, yeah, and thanks to the platform's edit feature for premium users, we can get a, a great sense of Linda's sincerity here. <laughs> the thought uh, process, a lot the of, multiple edits. A lot of thought went into making this statement. Yeah, uh, She wanted her tweet to be just right. And uh, <laughs> fourth time's a charm, apparently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So version one. X is committed to combating anti-Semitism, and here's what we're doing about it. Version 2. As you already know, <laughs> X is completely committed to combating anti-Semitism in all forms, and here's what we're doing about it. 
version 3. As you already know, X is completely committed to combating anti-Semitism in all forms. Here's what we're doing about it. And finally, X opposes anti-Semitism in all its forms. Anti-Semitism is evil, and X will always work to fight it on our platform. And X is also always open to proactively working together in that fight with all groups. Linda, you nailed it. That porridge was just right. <laughs> Anyways, time to talk about Linda's boss. Walter Isaacson's Elon Musk biography hit bookshelves this week on 9-11. And before it even came out, the book's accuracy was called into question by Elon Musk and Walter <laughs> Isaacson. Always off to a great start. Yeah, definitely <laughs> have a lot of faith in this book now. <laughs> Not reading it, uh, wondering how much of it is real. Here's Rolling Stone, though. Walter Isaacson, author of the new Elon Musk biography, has walked back his explosive claim that Musk ordered Starlink engineers to cut off internet connectivity to thwart a Ukrainian attack on Russia's naval fleet last year. The claim, which first emerged last week ahead of the biography's publication, originally stated that in March 2022, Musk told his engineers to turn off Starlink's connectivity along the Crimean coast. Musk had allowed Ukraine to use Starlink, which is operated by his company SpaceX, for satellite internet after Russia invaded a few months prior. The book stated that Ukrainian drone subs rigged to blow up the Russian ships lost connectivity and washed ashore harmlessly after Musk made the call. Isaacson wrote that Musk's decision was born out of a fear that the attack would lead Russia to retaliate with nuclear weapons. That continues. The excerpt raised major concerns about the extent to which Musk may have been using Starlink to meddle in the war, but Musk also quickly pushed back on Isaacson's characterization of the event. On Twitter, he... I love that they call it Twitter. Yep. On Twitter, he claimed that Starlink was never activated over Crimea. He also claimed, there was an emergency request from government authorities to activate Starlink all the way to Sevastopol, the obvious intent being to sink most of the Russian fleet at anchor. If I had agreed to their request, then SpaceX would be explicitly complicit in a major act of war and conflict escalation. In response, Isaacson also offered a correction on how his book portrayed the incident. He wrote, the Ukrainians thought coverage was enabled all the way to Crimea, but it wasn't. They asked Musk to enable it for their drone sub-attack on the Russian fleet. Musk did not enable it because he thought, probably correctly, that would cause a major war. They were already at war, you fucking asshole. Yeah. He later posted, Based on my conversations with Musk, I mistakenly thought the policy to not allow Starlink to be used for an attack on Crimea had been first decided on the night of the Ukrainian attempted sneak attack that night. He now says that the policy had been implemented earlier, but the Ukrainians did not know it. And that night, he simply reaffirmed the policy. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, seems like an important detail that you might want to Make sure you get right in your definitive biography of the world's richest man, who you have one-on-one -on -one access with and directly years, quoted. Yeah. yeah. But, I don't know, guess not. Also, if what's in the book isn't true, then why is it almost identical to totally independent claims made in Ronan Farrow's New Yorker article last month? Hmm. That is an interesting point. Yeah. One of the key criticisms of the book is that Walter Isaacson kind of just takes Elon at his word and describes Elon's opinions as fact. And this whole supposed oopsie definitely supports that criticism. But anyways, let's look at some summaries of what else this book reveals. Starting with Casey Newton in The Verge. Musk sought to ban activists for organizing an advertiser boycott after he bought the company. From the start, Musk has faced pressure from activists who urged him not to reduce the company's investments in content moderation. This pressure ratcheted up significantly after Musk posted a lurid, baseless conspiracy theory about the attack last year on Representative Nancy Pelosi's husband. That tweet which he posted three days after buying the company, led some activist groups to call for an advertising boycott. Advertisers began leaving in droves. Musk was outraged, accusing them in one tweet of trying to destroy free speech in America. 
Musk believed the activist groups were trying to blackmail him into taking action, Isaacson reports. He shared that view with Yoel Roth, then his head of trust and safety, and ordered Roth to ban the activists. Roth protested that the activists hadn't violated any of the site's published rules. I'm changing Twitter policy right now, Musk said, according to Isaacson. Blackmail is prohibited as of right now. Ban. Ban them. Roth ignored the directive and Musk forgot about it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's how you have to treat anything from Musk. He'll forget about it in a couple minutes. But uh, yeah, just Mr. Free Speech. Free Speech absolutist. Uh, except uh, what you're doing, uh, that's blackmail. Um, that's assassination coordinates. So obviously, you know. Yeah. Come on. Mm-hmm. Come on. Pretty telling. Uh, here's more from that article on a topic that we've definitely been curious about. Musk privately acknowledged Twitter would need to be careful about China. Mm. After Musk took over Twitter, some observers wrote that his international business ties deserved more scrutiny. See Matt Iglesias on this point. Among the top concerns was that Musk would have difficulty resisting calls to remove posts critical of the Chinese Communist Party due to the fact that China is a major market and manufacturing site for Tesla. When Musk brought in independent journalist Barry Weiss to write an installment of the Twitter files last year, she pressed him on the issue. Musk had brought her in to tell the story that Twitter 1.0 executives had improperly restricted speech on the platform, but wouldn't he soon find himself in a similar position in China? Isaacson writes, Musk got annoyed. That was not what the conversation was supposed to be about. Weiss persisted. Musk said that Twitter would indeed have to be careful about the words it used regarding China because Tesla's business could be threatened. China's repression of the Uyghurs, he said, had two sides. Weiss was disturbed. They moved on to other topics. Interesting. Again, very telling about where this guy's priorities are. Yeah. uh, He's looking out for himself, not for you, you blue checkmark weirdo. Yeah, this has been like always in the back of my mind ever since he started ingratiating himself with with with, with conservatives because it's like, ask him about China. Ask him what he thinks about China Mm -hmm. because he absolutely... Or the Saudis. Yeah, he will not say a fucking peep about them uh, because he has... Their hands are in each other's pockets, and uh, he's not going to do it. But it's, it's just, it's a funny little thing. It it would be a lot (laughs) funnier if the implications weren't so serious, because it there's obviously something going on here. There's a reason he bought Twitter and all that. It's just like, well, he bought it because uh, the L.A. public school system turned his daughter into a trans communist. That's right. Yeah, it is. It is honestly just as simple as that. But now that he's in there. Uh, he has to listen to uh, a bunch of people with more power than him that are could take away his fortune at any moment. Interesting. Yeah. And here's a peek into how Elon spends his free time. Musk's favorite mobile game is called The Battle of Polytopia, a turn-based strategy game not dissimilar from Civilization. Okay, now I'm listening. Mm. Musk has at one point or another forced most of those closest to him to play against him. He once stopped speaking to Grimes for a day because she surprised him with a fireball attack. It's a huge fucking deal, he reportedly told her. At one point, Musk tells his brother, Kimball, that playing Polytopia will teach him how to be a better CEO. Eventually, they write down a shared list of life lessons they have learned from the game, including empathy is not an asset, optimize every turn, and double down. Dork! I'm kind of curious about this game, but I I find it very difficult to believe that any mobile game could offer uh, these sorts of deep philosophical lessons on leadership. No, absolutely not. And he's definitely a, a whale that's getting milked for every second. Oh, yeah. If you, mm, play civil- more jewels. if you play Civilization, I guarantee you you're playing like the college level of whatever this fucking thing is. I mean, I could be wrong. I don't know about the game, but I'm just saying like uh, yeah. Civilization is pretty fucking vast in what you can do and how to conquer things. So 
Yeah, it it it, uh, it is a hideous game that uh, I will play as Genghis Khan. Oh wow! This you say he uh, birthed a lot of children. <laughs> then I should also birth a lot of children. Genghis Khan's good uh, definitely, role model. Definitely a good leader to play as. Uh, the Mongol hordes in I believe the classical era uh, are uh, very very op. Kimball, download this game, and then let's talk about it with each other after, like Daddy used to make us do. And speaking of Grimes, here's Insider. A new biography of Elon Musk said the Tesla CEO had a previously unreported third child with the Canadian musician Grimes. A third Elon child has yeah. hit Grimes' womb. His ex-partner. The couple deliberately kept the child's existence private, the book says. The child, who was born in mid-June 2022, during the week of Father's Day, is named... <laughs> Techno Mechanicus. <laughs> he go, goes by the nickname Tau after the Greek letter for the number number equal to two times pi, which is roughly 6.28. Fuck you. This in turn reflects Musk's own birthday, June 28th. The journalist Walter Isaacson was given unprecedented access to Musk over the last two years. Techno's birth was first <laughs> revealed in a New York Times review of the biography, which is simply titled Elon Musk. Accounting for Techno Mechanicus, Musk now has 10 known living children with three different women. Techno Mechanicus. Sounds like a, a rock band from like the year 2005. Yeah. And as you'll recall, uh, two of those 10 children are twins that Elon Musk fathered via IVF with Neuralink executive Siobhan Zillis. And they were born just weeks before Elon's second child with Grimes, uh, named, of course, Exa Dark Sidrail Musk. People have naturally wondered how Grimes felt about that whole situation, and uh, after Walter Isaacson tweeted out a picture of Elon with those twins and their mother, Grimes replied with, Tell Siobhan to unblock me and tell Elon to let me see my son, or please respond to my lawyer. I have never even been allowed to see a photo of these children until this moment, despite this situation utterly ripping my family apart. Sad. So yeah, Grimes deleted the tweet and later apologized and said, Everything's... Everything's all good, but Jesus. It's definitely not good. <laughs> Yikes. You almost got to feel bad for her. Uh, I kind of do. I don't. I kind of do. It's not like a, Elon Musk was a total weirdo back then, but he wasn't what he is now. I mean, she was just like, one hey, kid. I made a sure. cool reference on Twitter and this guy, the, this guy who made electric cars followed me. And now we're at the, that, then we go to the Met Gala and then I'm pregnant. Yeah. But he just wanted a, a goth girlfriend, and she was there. I, I'm almost positive I can say with confidence that uh, this could have all been very obvious to her after one kid, not after sure, three. Sure, I, I think I, I go back to like the tweet where she's, I, know, I think another deleted tweet, where she was pleading with him to please understand. Uh, please stop being transphobic. Yes, yeah. or I'm just like, at that point I was like, okay, you got to get out of there. Yeah. Like. You should probably stop associating with this guy because this is actually who he is. She's a fucking. If uh, you've seen like interviews with her, though, she's a she's a fucking weirdo. Kind of a space cadet. Anyways, back to the book. Here's Insider again. Elon Musk's biographer believes that his purchase of Twitter, now X, was insane because the billionaire can't understand other people's feelings. <laughs> the Financial Times reported. Walter Isaacson made the comments in an interview about his book Elon Musk, which was released on Tuesday. The former Time Magazine editor suggested Musk spent $44 billion on Twitter because he was getting bored with success at his other companies like SpaceX and Tesla. Everything was going so well that Musk became uncomfortable, Isaacson told the FT. He doesn't like when things are going well. He is addicted to drama. I thought it was insane, he added. 
Musk doesn't have empathy, and so Twitter was not a good fit for him. The writer explains this further in the biography, saying Musk thought of Twitter as a technology company when in fact it was an advertising medium based on human emotions and relationships. Is there anything in the DSM about, uh, you know, lacking, fundamentally lacking empathy? Is there a term for, uh, yeah, for yeah, what that is. might be? Can't say it, though. You can't, you can't, uh, sell, you can't diagnose. Well, you're not a, a professional. You can diagnose all you want. Yeah, I can say it. He's a psychopath. Yeah, that he's would be. He's a fucking psychopath. Is it a psychopath or a sociopath? Um, they're kind of interchangeable from my understanding. Not, oh. Actually, neither of them's in the DSM. Okay. Um, the DSM has, uh antisocial personality disorder mm -hmm. and narcissistic personality disorder. And there's there's a lot of overlap there, but uh yeah. yeah, much like with uh with with Trump, not to tie the two back together once again, but like all of the evidence is there. Just because uh a personal psychiatrist or psychologist who is working directly with them hasn't made the proclamation doesn't mean that all of the tendencies they're displaying aren't examples of that type of behavior. Yeah, I mean and with Elon it's probably something he's proud of. Yeah. No, based like, on the game that he was playing and the fact that you don't, you should do away with empathy in order yeah. to get further in business. I mean, that's why all CEOs are like this because you can't really have empathy and run a company that big because you would feel bad about pe how people are treated yeah. or when they're fired or when they have problems in your workplace. And some of those problems are very hard to overcome. And a person with empathy, uh, it would drive them insane. It would. Yeah, I, I read a really good book by John Ronson several years ago called The Psychopath Test. And it's a, kind of an exploration of how muddy the actual definitions of it are. Yeah. But based on like the most uh, accepted definitions, it's like in the general population, it's like between one and five percent. Mm -hmm. And in the population of uh, chief executives at companies, it's like 50 percent. Yeah. Meet those definitions. And they're like, what? No, that makes me better at business. Yeah, no, they, and they use it as a point of pride. Like that, we've experienced it previously in business, where someone comes in be, specifically because they're a soulless entity. Yeah. In order to wreak havoc on a business, it's, it's like hiring an assassin. Yes. You you want to hire a business assassin? Yeah. They're like, oh, being a psychopath, that's actually an asset. Yes. For a, the assassin. That you've I'm got a skill that very few have. <laughs> you don't give a fuck about yeah. people. Yeah. Yeah. You'd step over your own mother to get a, a leg up in this business. You're hired. Yeah. That's exactly. We're going to be firing a lot of people's mothers. And that's so, a that's a big contributor to the way the reason why American culture is the way it is and why everyone is so self-focused and refuses to work as a group or be communal in a lot of cases. A psychopathic country. We are. Anyway, finally, just one more section of the book that we want to highlight because it's hilarious. Uh, so the backstory is that in 2002, before SpaceX, Elon had a, a brilliant idea to send a greenhouse to Mars. Okay, and went to Russia to try to buy some some rockets because I guess that's where all the good rockets were over yeah. in Russia in the early 2000s. Great, great time to do business over there. Uh, here's Insider again. The journey included a stopover in Paris, Isaacson wrote, where a late night of partying left Musk ragged upon arrival in the Russian capital. Then in the back room of a Moscow restaurant, the lunchtime meeting involved small bites of food interspersed with large shots of vodka. The biography says the Russians also gifted the trio a bottle of vodka, each with custom labels showing pictures of each recipient on Mars. I calculated the weight of the food and the weight of the vodka, and they were roughly equal, Musk told Isaacson. And then in the biographer's words, Musk, who was holding his head up with his hand, passed out and his head slammed into the table. 
is a little trick we play on the, these Americans that uh, come over to do business. Over, we were just drinking water. Over under on Musk having a compromat file. Oh, 100%. Yeah. That's how it happens. Yeah. Everyone knows that if you go and do business in Russia uh, and people are actively trying to get you fucked up, you just go with it. Yeah. You just let them get you drunk and... Uh, it would explain a lot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The article continues, after the Moscow incident, there was said to be another unsuccessful meeting on the trip before Musk returned in early 2002. Isaacson wrote that Musk thought he had struck a deal to buy two Neptar rockets for $18 million, but that the sellers actually wanted $18 million for each. And when Musk pushed back, they apparently upped the price to $21 million each. Brilliant. Cantrell told Isaacson the Russian business people then taunted the SpaceX founder saying, Oh, little boy, you don't have the money? 18 million each? Okay, how about 21 million each? Bitch boy. We, we have raised the price. We also have this video of you in our hotel. Yeah. Oh, they've definitely, they've definitely got a compromat file on him. Although, yeah. at this point, who needs it? The man posts his own compromat on the timeline mm -hmm. every day. Yeah. Anyways, so that's the Musk biography from Walter uh, Erickson and... Uh, Isaacson. Isaacson. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I was... I'll, I'll get the audio book at some point on Libby and just listen to it. In the I car still again. haven't read his uh, Steve Jobs book, which was I think it still holds up. Mm -hmm. It's still considered pretty definitive. So I think that's that's first on my priority list. Now, for me, I, I watch uh, I just watched the Steve Jobs movie by the unimpeachable Ashton Kutcher, who has done nothing wrong. Well, we're going to talk about him a little bit later. Uh, in this uh, don't don't I, I in this my uh, favorite actor, Ashton Kutcher, host of Punked. Yeah, host of Punked, uh, uh, unimpeachable record of yeah. uh, quality personship throughout time right but uh yeah the uh, with the steve jobs biography i think by the time he was done with it steve jobs was dead mm -hmm. and i think that might have helped uh with, steve, he couldn't change anything afterwards. right whereas in this case uh this is a fucking shit show your book's coming out like tomorrow and it's like oh by the way um just let you know uh, i guess i was wrong i was wrong i was wrong the book's wrong uh musk did get very uh very talkative after that little segment made its way online uh very much realized that he might be in the crosshairs of the u.s government if uh this was actually true which yeah, it mean, still might be forget a compromise file this guy's fucking cia and he's literally working with uh, yeah, yeah with no, other nations he is it would not shock me at all if he is being like monitored <laughs> because it's it, by allowing him to have so much fucking control over the space program and the war in ukraine like they, they kind of fucked up. Yeah. Privatization. We He's literally an oligarch. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, we've got some more news to get to in just a moment, including uh, some more rich assholes. But first, this episode is sponsored by Factor. With the busy fall season already in swing, you might be looking for wholesome, convenient meals for jam-packed days. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, can help you fuel up fast with chef-prepared, dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track with your healthy lifestyle. Too busy this fall to cook, but you want to make sure you're eating well? With Factor, skip the extra trip to the grocery store and the chopping, prepping, and cleaning up too, while still getting the flavor and nutritional quality that you need. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are ready in just two minutes, so all you have to do is heat and enjoy, and then get back to crushing your goals. Adjust your stride this autumn without missing a step. Choose from 34-plus weekly flavor-packed, fresh, never-frozen meals ready to eat in two minutes. Level up with gourmet plus options, prepared to perfection by chefs and ready to eat in record time. 
Treat yourself to upscale meals with premium ingredients like broccolini, leeks, truffle butter, and asparagus. I had for lunch today the Italian herb chicken. Ooh. With, uh, it had some mashed, like this kind of like a risotto thing under it, some green beans. And some delicious herbs. Stop. I gotta love those herbs. Too busy running around during the day to think about lunch? Keep your energy up with lunch to go. Effortless, wholesome meals like grain bowls and salad toppers that are ready to eat when you're on the go. No microwave required. Round out your meal and replenish your snack supply with an assortment of 45-plus add-ons, including breakfast items like the delicious apple cinnamon pancakes, bacon and cheddar egg bites, and potato bacon and egg breakfast skillet. Or for an easy wellness boost, try refreshing beverage options like cold-pressed juices, shakes, and smoothies. This September, get Factor and enjoy eating well without the hassle. Simply choose your meals and enjoy fresh, flavor-packed meals delivered right to your door, ready in just two minutes, no prep, no mess. Head to factormeals.com newsday50 and use our code newsday50 to get 50% off. That is code newsday50 at factormeals.com newsday50 to get 50% off. Okay, and back to the news now with some rich assholes who have had a real hell of a week. Mm -hmm. Now, we haven't covered the Danny Masterson trial because it's pretty disturbing stuff, and there's a lot to it. But basically, one of the stars of that 70s show is going to prison for a very, very long time for a pattern of serious sexual assault. And in the aftermath of the guilty verdict... It came out that Masterson's That 70s Show co-stars Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis had both written letters of support to the judge seeking leniency in how Masterson was sentenced. Uh, the letters, which were basically, here's all the reasons why my friend, a convicted rapist, is a really good dude, did not go over well with the general public, mm -hmm. as you would expect. And then neither did a hostage-style apology clip that Kutcher and Kunis released in reaction to the backlash that didn't really seem to have convey a very apologetic tone. Yeah, it was a... They stepped in it, and then they stepped in it again with their other foot. This is a, 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 something that would typically play out over the course of like a week or two in the previous years, and it was smashed into one one weekend. They did the, uh, this was leaked, the apology video, and then all of their own personal problems and everything else started getting exposed immediately after. It was yep. quite the rapid succession. Yep. Uh, so basically overnight, these two actors whose public image had been mostly free of controversy, Ashton Kutcher questionable throughout the years and also a big fucking dork well yeah yeah uh they found themselves in a very controversial situation and it led to people online digging up other questionable things from their past that were mostly forgotten until now a real pr disaster and if the plan was to now just lie low and wait for this all to blow over well too bad <laughs> because mila kunis and ashton kutcher were once again in the headlines this week for completely unrelated reasons just great timing Lovely timing. Get all your controversies out of the way at once. Yeah. That is a good PR strategy. Uh-huh. Well, here's TechCrunch. It's been a disastrous week for Mila Kunis and Ashton Kutcher, and it's only Wednesday. The SEC has charged the Hollywood power couple's NFT-based web series, Stoner Cats, calling the NFTs unregistered securities. Per the SEC, Stoner Cats is an adult animated television show about house cats that become sentient after being exposed to their owner's medical marijuana. <sighs> <laughs> By buying one of 10,000 NFTs worth around $800 each, fans could get exclusive access to the six-episode animated series, which features celebrities like Jane Fonda, Chris Rock, and Seth MacFarlane. Even Ethereum co-founder Vitalik Buterin was in the show. Every time one of these NFTs was resold, the original owner would earn a 2.5% royalty. In marketing the NFTs, Stoner Cats emphasized that the more successful the show, the more successful your NFT will be. 
The Stoner Cat's social media accounts continued to promote the resale of these NFTs, and since they strongly suggested a return on investment, the SEC declared Stoner Cat's NFTs to be unregistered securities. It's a what, you say? It's an investment? Oh, because all these other NFT companies, they're just saying it's a, it's a fun thing to have. Yeah, it's very just, specific uh, it's wording. It's collectible, like, but you're saying shit, it's you're saying it's an investment. No, no, no. They said it would grow. They, they didn't say that it would become worth more money. You see, uh, also uh, ironic because Vitalik, I believe, had his Twitter hacked this weekend, <laughs> and a bunch of people got scammed out of, of uh, something like a million or something dollars. Uh, the only people left over, the last holdouts in like the NFT crypto space, are I assume the most gullible people on the face. Yeah. Of the also, uh, a large portion of Vegas is offline right now. Yeah, the MGM uh, system. Because someone taken just down. called up to the front desk and uh, did a little yeah. social hacking. Yeah. Just like when that. Uh, they, just, they literally just went on LinkedIn and like found the name of an employee and just called in pretending to be that person. Yeah. It was just like the thing that happened in old Vegas with the where they just walked away with millions of dollars. Yeah, just act like, like, like the boss said, I'm here to get the money. And MGM obviously owns a lot of properties there, so all of their systems are going haywire. Like the, the electronic billboards out in front were displaying things. Uh, you couldn't open room doors. And then also another problem with uh, everything being digital. It's like, oh, you can't even get into your hotel room door yeah. because it's all connected to a fucking computer system for some reason. Wow. It's the worst thing to ever happen in Vegas. Wait, never mind. Yeah. Uh, but let's move on to some AI news. And we, uh, we, we all, all we have to report on is that some person in San Francisco put on a ninja suit, picked up a hammer, and started wailing on the nearest cruise robo-taxi. Yes. After apparently tagging it with spray paint. Yes. <laughs> expressing through physical violence what an increasing number of Bay Area residents seem to feel about these driverless vehicles infesting their streets. Well, clearly not everyone feels this way. For example, the person recording the video who is heard saying, Call 911. Snitch. But as we've seen in recent weeks, these robo-taxis are not especially popular up there due to their tendency to drive erratically and shut down in the middle of the road. We can probably expect to see more human-on-robot violence as these driverless taxis become more commonplace, which is exciting. Yeah, I mean, they've been doing the put-the-cone-on-the-hood trick for a couple months now. I guess you, you put a traffic cone on one of these cars and it just, it just loses control. But uh, yeah, taking a hammer to them. Although this person picked the wrong hammer. Didn't look like they did a whole lot of damage. It's mostly just vandalism. You need a but, sledgehammer. Uh, they were swinging. Yeah, you need a you need a sledge. Sledgehammer. They were just swinging like a fucking just a normal household hammer, and doing it with two hands, which is actually it's going to be less effective than well, they didn't the want, one hand. They didn't want blisters. I guess so, but they were wearing gloves. They were wearing a ninja costume. Oh yeah, so I don't know. Or why. take a sword to to one of these cars. Is beating up a robot taxi a victimless crime? Yes. Cool. Literally, it is. <laughs> Uh, finally, though, we would be remiss to not cover the latest Apple event. This is We a, love it. This is a tech show, after all, but you don't really need us to tell you that the iPhone 15 comes after the 14. What? <laughs> look, I and I'm in the ecosystem now. <laughs> I've been an iPhone user for a couple of years now, and I looked at this and was like, well, I guess I'm not upgrading. And they even offer, like, I have the most recent one, so I'd get, like, a decent turn in, and I'm just like, I don't understand how this is worth it at all. Yeah. It's it's just lighter. This this year's is lighter, and it has a USB-C That's instead right. of Lightning. But because of Apple's dumb ecosystem, everything else that I own is is fucking Lightning. So it's like I'd have to change everything. That's what that's what you got to do. That's so I'm what not you going to do. do it. But yeah, everything. It's all just new versions of old stuff. What is noteworthy though is that at long last, the proprietary Lightning cable is 
dead, which is good. And in its place, Apple is finally, finally joining every other tech company on earth by using just standard USB-C cables to power its products. Mm -hmm. And this victory came about thanks entirely to regulation passed over in the European Union last year. So thank you, Europe, for having the courage to topple Apple's ridiculously overpriced cable racket. Mm -hmm. But for those who are going to miss getting ripped off, they, don't worry. You can still buy a two-meter USB-C cable from Apple that costs you $30. Yeah. Uh, Apple should be thanking the <laughs> European Union because without the change to USB-C, this is not an upgrade. Yeah. That's it's the, not significant enough in any way. Every article I looked at is like, okay, run down everything that happened. And it's like, the iPhone switched to USB-C. I'm like, okay, okay cool. They're like, the AirPods switched to USB-C. Yeah, pretty, no okay, other upgrade. Pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Like, okay. uh, same with the watch. Like, there's not really an upgrade on the watch. It's uh, it's pretty much just the USB-C thing, and they're using titanium for the case now, oh, which is nice. But guess what? With all that weight that you're saving, why not uh, increase the battery size? Wow. Interesting. Yes, concerning. Uh, also, uh, speaking of Apple doing good things because they're about to get regulated to hell and back, uh, the right to repair is either about to or just passed in California. Yeah, California. And so Apple is already starting to get out ahead of that and be like, hey, we have a great idea, everyone. What if? What, what if? if we allowed you to repair? Yeah, what if we devices? made it so it wasn't uh, voiding? Apple's done it again. <laughs> Brilliant. Innovating. Yeah. Anyways, that's it for this week's episode of Tech News Day. We'll be back with News Dump, and boy, oh boy. We got a... There's a lot going on, <laughs> and I don't know what to save for weekly weird news and what to do on News Dump, but there are strange things afoot. Beetlejuice, UX... Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. U.S. politics <laughs> and Mexican politics have crossed the Rubicon. <laughs> there is no coming back. Uh, it is There is wild stuff happening, folks, so uh, buckle up. Don't leave that seat. We'll be back very soon. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, please watch our most recent episodes over here. We got Mike Lindell getting fucking furious yeah. about someone making fun of his pillows. He even does a few curses and swears. He does. And then we have uh, a video that got age-gated, so make sure that you watch it. Uh, literally in the background in the YouTube studio, it says 18 plus only. Oh, wow. The Only got to be an adult to watch a video about diarrhea on a plane? So okay. if, you, if you missed Weekly Weird News, that's why. It's yeah. because it's 18. Too hot for YouTube. You ask your dad to sign you in on his account. That's right. Uh, so check those out. And we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.